Good morning, my sweetheart church. It is good to be with you today. It isn't, isn't it great to have Pastor Rachel with us? Last time she and her family went to England to visit, they almost didn't get let back into the country. No kidding. So we're really glad you got back. It's good to have you home again. <laughs> 19 years ago this month, my family was vacationing in Sun Valley, Idaho. In fact, on this very day, August 14th, 2003, we went to the outdoor ice skating rink there, which was open even though it was 92 degrees outside. The ice was actually covered with a sheet of water. And I knew it probably wasn't a great idea to be trying to skate in those conditions but what the heck, we had come that far, we probably weren't going to come back, so we laced on our rented skates and began to make the circuit around the rink. At one point, I noticed that Cindy and Cooper were resting on a bench over on the side, and so I thought it would be a great idea to skate over real fast, (laughs) slam on the brakes, and spray them with snow. Ha, 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 ha. So I headed for them at full speed, but instead of slamming on the brakes, my skates went out from under me, and I fell, landing on the front of my face. And I don't remember anything after that until I woke up from a coma the next day in a Boise hospital. This was the pick. The, um, it was a head injury, which the doctor described in the early hours as grave You don't ever want to hear yourself described as grave unless you are in the grave. This is a word you don't want on this side of the grave. So, 19 years later, I'm still here. I'm grateful to be here. But if someone had walked up to me that morning and said, you know, it might not be the best idea for you to ice skate on a sheet of water. Or if you're going to ice skate on a sheet of water, it might not be the best idea to to show off by trying to do a full hockey stop at full speed. That would have been helpful advice. I'm not sure I would have received the advice, but if I had, it would have saved me and my poor traumatized family a very unpleasant experience. It's not always easy to tell someone the truth, especially if they don't particularly want to hear the truth. But especially in God's family, if we don't have the courage to speak unpleasant truth, the consequences can be devastating. We are in a series that we're calling the One Another's. Uh, Throughout the summer, we've been visiting these 59 different places in the New Testament where we are told how we ought to treat one another. We've touched on a few of them. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Accept one another. Honor one another. Pray for one another. Serve one another. I'll bet one of those kind of stuck out as the area that you need the most work to do in your, in your own life. This morning, we, we pick up the seventh of the one another's, and it is admonish one another. What does that mean? Well, it's another way of saying, tell the truth to one another. How much devastation, how much pain could we be saved from if we cared enough and had the courage enough to speak the truth to one another? You'll find this idea spread throughout all of the New Testament, but the text I'm choosing particularly comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, and I'm pulling out verse 16. Here it is. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This is the word of the Lord. 
How many know what that is? It's a like bell. How many have ever heard of a like bell? If you haven't, it's because I invented it. (laughs) This summer, I had the privilege of co-mentoring three of our summer interns. Every week, we would gather together for a time of training, and they took turns leading devotions, and then they received constructive criticism at the end of their talks. And all of them are so smart and so articulate and so theologically sharp. I really enjoyed all of their devotionals, except for like one thing, like when they were talking, like about every third word, like (laughs) they would like say, like, like, you know what I mean? Like, and I did not like at all. And so the next week, I put that out in the middle of the table. And guess what I did with it? Every time they misused the word like, I rang the bell. And that first week was painful because that bell got rung a lot. But we kept at it over the ensuing weeks. Last Tuesday, we got together for our very final cohort, and guess what? Our devotional leader presented her entire talk, and it was a really good talk, and not one ring of the bell. Yeah. Now, I could have ignored it. It would have definitely been less awkward and less unirritating in those early weeks, but these young people, well, they're pursuing vocational Christian ministry. They did an internship with us because they want to improve their skills. And like saying like every other word is like not cool in there. And so this, that was their admonishment. That was their gentle correction. Admonishment, that's what that means in the Bible. A gentle correction. It's not the same as rebuke. Rebuke is much harsher. Jesus rebuked once in a while. He rebuked Satan. Remember this one? Get thee, I mean Peter, get thee behind me Satan, he called Peter. That was a rebuke. But admonishment is kind but clear communication. Kind of a warning, a coaching. It's a caution. The Greek word for admonish means literally to put in mind. To put in mind. To admonish someone is to put a new idea in their mind. It's to help someone say, hmm, I hadn't thought of that that way before. I hadn't seen that that way before. When Paul tells us to admonish one another, he's saying, I want you to have the courage to speak the truth to each other. Help each other think in new way about some things. Last week, I got admonished by one of our elders. He sent me a note and said, I'd like to meet with you and talk about something. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I think I'm going to the woodshed. And he came at the appointed hour, and after pleasantries, he shared with me his concern about an action that I had taken without the input of the elders. He told me he felt it was unwise, and and he proposed a a better way going forward. And honestly, it caught caught me by surprise. I hadn't seen what he was talking about from his perspective, I saw something that needed to get done, and I just did it. That is kind of what I do. And sometimes that's good. Often that's good. Sometimes it's not so good. And so he put a new idea in my mind. He admonished me. 
and I understood his perspective, and I apologized for getting out over my skis, and we discussed a corrective step going forward, and we were done. By the way, right there is the value of our Presbyterian system of governance. Pastors and ruling elders who are working together, holding one another accountable for the welfare of the church. You should be grateful that you are part of such a system. Now, do you think it was easy for this man to bring this concern to me? I've heard I can be intimidating. I can't believe that about myself, but I've heard that that's the case. And besides that, we are friends, and I love him, and he loves me, and we respect each other. And this wasn't a huge issue. It might have been easier to just let it go, to kind of sweep it under the rug. But if he had done that, he would have been ignoring the prompting of the Spirit in his heart, and he would have been ignoring what the Apostle Paul told us to do when he said, admonish one another, tell the truth to one another. But this is not an easy time in human history to obey this biblical instruction, is it? Because as a culture, we are quick to take offense. Isn't that true? We are so thin-skinned. We are so ready to be offended by someone. And, and we have the means through social media to trumpet that offense far and wide. And if we really take offense, we can just sue someone silly for anything. So in such an offense-taking, litigious, cancel culture, I think it is often tempting for us to, to keep our mouths shut and, and keep our eyes down and just stay in our lane. But Paul says that is not an option for us. The scriptures teach us that part of Christian community is speaking the truth to each other, even when it's hard truth, maybe especially when it's hard truth. The Proverbs tell us that this kind of interaction, iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron. You can't sharpen iron without some sparks, but there's benefit to this. If we refuse to speak when we see a problem or what we perceive to be a problem, we have become part of the problem. So admonish one another, Paul says. Now, how do we do that? Well, first of all, we do it face to face. Face to face. If you have a difficult truth that you need to share with someone, you don't do it by phone, you don't do it by email, you don't do it by text, you don't do it by TikTok, and you so, don't, certainly don't bring someone else into the issue. You do it one-on-one, -on -one, face to face. And we learn that from the Lord Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 18, it is the great teaching of Jesus on this topic. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So if a brother and sister or sister does something that offends you or concerns you, what do you do about it? Tell your golf buddies? Post your ob objections online? Perhaps you bring it up as a prayer concern in a prayer meeting. I'll tell you what, a lot of prayer meetings end up being sanctified gossip. No, you, if you have an offense or a concern, what do you do? Jesus says you go. You go to that person face to face between you and him alone. Now, that's if you have an offense against someone. But what if someone has an offense against you? 
Well, Jesus had something to say about that as well in the same gospel, by the way. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, you leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Remember, this isn't even your issue This is an issue. This is someone else's issue with you. You might say that's their problem. But Jesus said, nope, that's your problem too. And it's so important that you try and make things right that you can't even go to worship until you do. Set your offering down in the front of the altar and I want you to go away and set things straight with your brother and then you can return to worship. So if you have an offense or a concern with someone What do you do? Go to them. If someone has an offense or concern with you, what do you do? Go to them. Either way, it's the same first step. You go to them face to face. If there's a hard truth to be spoken, if there's a correction or a caution, if there's some warning, some coaching, you don't do it by proxy. You don't do it by committee. You don't do it by internet or by text or by phone. You do it face to face. That may be the single most important, essential, courageous first step in obeying Paul in this. We move toward each other when we admonish one another. Face to face. All right, so you've done that. You've had the courage to call and say, could I have a coffee date with you? And you show up. Now, what do you do? Because you can do a lot of damage if your admonishment comes across as a rebuke or an attack, can't you? I bet you've been on the receiving end of that kind of damage. So what's next? How can that conversation that you so courageously have pursued, how can it be helpful and healthy? By golly, the scripture offers some more good advice in this respect. Here's what you do. You speak your word of admonition tenderly and graciously. Tenderly and graciously. First, tenderly. Acts chapter 20 has one of the most emotional meetings that you'll find in scripture. It's the account of Paul's tearful farewell to the Ephesian elders. He's heading off to Jerusalem and he's going to be uh, taken into, kept into custody there. He's going to be arrested and carted off to Rome. He, in this moment then, is offering this parting shot as he prepares to leave his beloved Ephesian church. This was her, his sweetheart church. Never to return again. So listen to what Paul says in verse 31. Therefore, be alert, he tells the elders, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Admonish with tears. Do you hear the the tenderness there? Truth-telling can be wielded like a weapon. What you are saying may be correct. It may be factual. But if there's anger or resentment or bitterness behind it, it can be brutal. I once spoke with a woman who was angry with me because I had called her mean after she complained sarcastically to me about another person a person that I cared about. I said, well, I'm sorry for calling you mean. Please forgive me for that. What I should have said was, the things you said were mean, because they were. You said really disparaging things about this person. You even called him a name that was uncharitable, it was unkind, 
It is beneath you as a Christian. Some of the issues that she raised, ironically, were legitimate issues. This person might have benefited from her admonition if she had sat down with him and shared from her heart tenderly. But she refused to even meet with him. She just wanted to talk to me about him. And her attitude was so harsh, so mean-spirited, that her truth-telling was, was like a club intended to batter his reputation instead of bring encouragement and improvement. She was not tender. On the other hand, just recently I was in a conversation where some very hard, painful things were shared back and forth. But it was done so respectfully, so tenderly, that in the end, like with Paul and the Ephesians, there were tears. There was a deep, sweet outpouring of emotion that was cathartic and healing and wonderful. Paul says, admonish one another, but do it tenderly. My beloved wife, Cindy, occasionally gets terrible leg cramps, and she'll want me to rub them, but they are so sensitive that if I'm not careful, I, I can cause more pain rather than bring relief. Sometimes the issue you feel that the Holy Spirit might be leading you to touch on is so sensitive, so embarrassing, so difficult. It will require the tenderest of touch. So we admonish tenderly. We also admonish graciously. Graciously. Listen to Paul's letter to the Corinthians as he's talking about the same topic. He says, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. I do not write these things to make you ashamed. I want you to hear this, beloved. Shame is never a work of the Holy Spirit. Let me say it again. Shame is never a work of the Holy Spirit. Guilt can be. Guilt might be. Shame is not. One author put it this way. He said, guilt and shame are twins, but they aren't identical. Guilt is usually tied to an event. I did something bad. Shame is tied to a person. I am bad. Guilt is the wound. Shame is the scar. Guilt is the prompting of the Holy Spirit to get back in alignment with God's purpose for your life. But shame is the work that the devil wants to do to degrade and discourage you. And Paul was telling the Corinthians, I am not trying to heap shame on you. I'm trying to speak healing truth to you so that you might be restored in your relationship to God and with each other. You see, unfortunately, sometimes truth-telling comes across this way. Go ahead, wag your fingers at me as if you've never done it before. Yes, that came very easily for some of you, I noticed. <laughs> Finger-wagging is not a Holy Spirit admonition. Finger-wagging is shame-producing. And we are not called to that. But here's what we are called to. Come here. This is what we are called to. We're called to gently come alongside. Finger wagging. That is hard to receive. But this, this is a grace, right? This is a grace. I have a friend in my life group who says, I'm so glad that I have a wife 
who calls me up and doesn't call me out. Calling you out, that's this. But this, this is calling you up, right? Thanks. Our world, our society, our culture, even our lives are steeped often in shame. Shame is the wicked sauce that the devil wants to baste us in, sauteing us in our own regret and self-loathing. But the gospel of Jesus Christ has set us free, free from regret, free from shame. This is the incredible work of God and his grace on the cross of Christ. Admonition, truth-telling within the body of Christ always leads toward freedom, always leads toward forgiveness and peace and restoration, and never towards shame. So this work, this work of admonition, if we're going to obey uh, Paul in this, it, of, of coaching, it is delicate, isn't it? It, it requires some humility and tenderness and grace, and courage. There's actually a lot of relational components working together in this delicate mission. Paul, I think, sums it up best and simplest, though, when when he told something to the Ephesians. He said this to them. He said, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Say that with me. Speak the truth. Truth is usually never enough if it's all by itself. Truth alone is never enough, especially in hard things, because truth can be such a blunt object, and if it's wielded indiscriminately, it can do a lot of damage. But truth in love, that's the ticket. So if you're going to admonish another person, that means you better test your motivation. Are you bitter towards them? Do you want to hurt them back? because they hurt you? Or do you want to win the argument for a change? Do you wish for this conversation to be redemptive and restorative or just cathartic and vengeful? Speaking the truth alone is usually not enough. It must be the truth in love, out of a heart that truly desires the very best for that person. So I'll bet that right now, that at least half of the people in my hearing have someone in your life that needs a truth conversation. I'll bet it's true. I'll bet half of us at least. And you know it. You're dreading it. You're avoiding it. You're procrastinating. But even as I'm speaking, you sense that the Holy Spirit is prompting a holy appointment. There's someone that you need to admonish, someone that you need to go face-to-face to, tenderly, graciously, lovingly, and courageously share your heart with them. And beloved, we need more of this admonition. This is the way the church body grows. Not by burying or ignoring or denying our problems, but by moving toward them in love. So I would ask you, who is that person for you? Who is the person you sense the Spirit prompting you to reach out that you might admonish in tenderness and grace? It won't be easy. I can almost assure you of that. But it could be transformational.
and it will be great kingdom work. Admonish one another in all wisdom. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, I'm so glad that we don't just show up here and then listen as I spout off a few words, but we actually believe that you're, you are at work. Uh, you are work in my words, but more importantly, you are work in work in your word, this, this great, great and gracious gift to us that reveals to us God's purpose. Only you, Holy Spirit, can help us to do these things that you call us to do. And especially in this area, when we have a hard or harsh relationship with someone, a brother or sister that we, we long to be reconciled to, we know we must, but we just don't have the courage to speak the truth. So Lord, would you, by your Spirit, prompt us this day to make that step, to promise to ourselves we won't let this day in, but before we've called that person that we need to call, and we've made a, a coffee date with them, and then we step graciously and tenderly and courageously and lovingly towards them and speak this truth. God, I can't help but believe that if we were to obey this, there, there would be hundreds of lives that were touched and, and changed, relationships that were strengthened, families that were healed, brokenness that would be restored, a church that would be built up. So that's what we ask you to do, Holy Spirit. Stir us to have the courage to admonish one another, to speak the truth in love. And as you do it, may more and more and more of your kingdom come. Your will be done. Amen. I just want to speak the name of Jesus Over every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org. I speak Jesus. Your name. Your name is power. Your name is here.